Welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. As a church, we believe that you're made for this, and God has a plan for your life. Here's this week's message. Hi, well, it's such a a great privilege to be with you here again this morning. Uh, Man, last night we had an incredible, a couple hundred young people uh, gather together at our church. Sixty of those come on from Oasis. And, uh, man, we worshiped together. It was an awesome time. And I just want to say, man, Lane is killing it. Her and her team are killing it with the youth ministry. Well done, man. Proud of this team. Um, So good. And I also want to give a shout-out to my man Jason over here leading the choir. My word. So good. Like, I think I preach better when there's a choir. Like, I almost want the choir to come back up and just be up here the whole entire time. Um, How many guys love that? Was that not amazing? So good. Man, so good. I I, I shared with the first service. Um, Makes me a little bit jealous. Not going to lie, you're causing me to sin when I come. Because I look up there and I'm like, I want one of those. I look over at my wife. I'm like, babe, can you get up and do the choir? She's like, no. Not going to happen. Man. Well, God is good. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Man, we're in a series entitled Glory in the Trenches. And uh, man, what an incredible series it's been so far. And I love, I love the idea of, of, man, what God does in our life uh, when we're in those trench moments, that God is doing something. The whole idea that, man, in those moments where, uh, man, it feels like, man, what's going on? Why am I here? Um, God is actually doing something in you so he can do something through you. All those lessons you learn in those trench moments, man, it's not just for you to learn lessons. It's so that you can then be used by God uh, to do something significant in your generation and in your city and in your spheres of influence. And so what an incredible series it's been so far. I want, I want to continue that today. And I want to talk to you uh, about a, a biblical principle um, that's seen throughout all of Scripture. And it's a principle that, honestly, I feel uh, that many churches and even Christ's followers have, have failed to latch onto. And it's the biblical principle of persistence. Persistence. Persistence is seen throughout the whole entire Bible. The Bible says this in the New Testament. It says, he who endures till the end shall be saved. What does the word persistence mean? It means firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. I want to read it again because I want you to hear it and I want it to get in your spirit as we dive into this idea today. Persistence, it's a firm or obstinate pers- uh, continuance. I, like, I'm just going to go. It's firm. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm pressing through in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Second Kings chapter 4, uh, there is a woman that I believe paints this principle for us so clearly. Uh, She's an unnamed woman. She's simply known as the the Shunammite woman. And she's going to teach us this morning what it means to persist. How do we persist in the trenches? 2 Kings chapter 4, reading from the New Living Translation, starting in verse 8. And it reads, One day Elisha went to the town of Shunamm. Now I want to pause there because 
If we've been around church for a while and we just simply read about a guy named Elisha, um, sometimes we can just draw these instant conclusions. Okay, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, for those of us that are new here to church, then uh, what is Elijah? He's a prophet in the Old Testament. But what you need to understand is that prophets in the Old Testament are, aren't just guys or, or, or people that received a word from God and then delivered it to a nation or a people group or, or an individual. They did that, but it was so much more than that. When we read about Elisha, what we need to understand is we're actually reading about a typology uh, and a foreshadowing of the presence of God that is to come. That these, these men would, would carry not just the word, but they were actually carrying the presence of God with them. They were symbolic of the presence of God. And so here we see that Elisha comes to this town of Shunem. The presence of God enters this town. A wealthy woman lived there. And she urged him to come to her home for a meal because she recognized, hey man, the presence of God is here. After that, whenever he passed um, that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. I want to pause there for a moment because I think there's such a great principle there that this woman shows us right off the bat. And that principle is this, is that this woman took what she had, what was in her possessions, and she wasn't happy just with the passing by of the presence of God. She wasn't happy with just the momentary visitation of the presence of God. She decided, she recognized the presence of God was there, and she said, I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to build something so that the presence of God doesn't just pass me by, but the presence of God comes and dwells in my home. Are you with me? And you ought to be excited that you are in a church, ladies and gentlemen, that has recognized the presence of God and has taken some time to build something right here with all those people that said, hey, I can give this, I can do that, I can be a part of the choir, I can be a part of this ministry, I can give my finances, what are we doing? We're building a place for the presence of God to come and dwell and remain in. Are you with me this morning? She says, hey, here's what I got, and I'm not happy just with the passing by, I want to do something. And so she builds this room and fills it with what, what he would need so that when he comes in verse 11, one day Elisha returned to Shunem and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. And when she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have showed us. What can we do for you? Can we put a good word in for you with the king or with the commander of the army? And she's like, no, we're good. Verse 14. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. She doesn't have a son. She's never been able to have this child. Now, you got to understand something. Back then, to not have a son meant when your husband was gone, it was kind of like the end of your existence. There needed to be someone in the house that would continue on the work and continue on the lineage. And she has no son. And Gehazi hears that, and he's like, hey, uh, this is what's going on. And Elisha's like, well, then let's fix that. Are you with me today? Husband's old. She don't got a son. It's going to take a miracle. Call her back again, Elisha told him. 
When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. Listen to her reply. No, my Lord, she cried, oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. In other words, we see here that how, how valuable this was to her, how much she actually contemplated this, how much she thought about how she would really want this son and she would really love to have that child but was unable to. And now here the presence of God comes and says, I'm going to give you what you've been longing for. I'm going I'm I'm to raise up that dream that you've been unable to have. I'm going to fulfill that in you And she's like, hold on a second. This is so near and dear to me. Please don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son just as Elisha had said. So good. Verse 18. One day when her child was older, So now we're looking at probably 12, 11, 12, 13 years down the road. He went out to help his father, who was working with the harvester. Suddenly he cried out, my head, it hurts, my head, it hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his father held him on her, or his mother held him on her lap. But around new time, he died. The dream. The promise is dead. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither new moon, Festival nor Sabbath, but she said it will be all right. She said the dream, the promise, the thing I said don't mock me with, don't deceive me with, the very thing that I was able to hold in my hand has now been ripped away from me and it looks like it's over. And the reply is it is all right. I got a message for somebody today. It doesn't matter what your circumstance looks like right now. It doesn't matter what dream looks like it's dead. It doesn't matter what promise looks like it's over. It doesn't matter what the marriage looks like. It doesn't matter what the health report is. It doesn't matter what the bank account says. It is all right. It's all right. But but pastor, it's not all right. Look, look, no, I'm here to tell you it is all right. It's all right. It's all right, it doesn't matter what you're facing, it doesn't matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter what the problem is, it's all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. Now she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out and meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. It is all right. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell 
to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, no, 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 leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. He's hidden it from me. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, I'm not settling for a dead, dry stick. I want you to come. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you and your presence to come back and get back the thing that you promised me. Assuredly, as the Lord lives and yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead, laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him that the child's dead. The promise is dead. It's dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone, shut the door behind him, and prayed to the Lord. Then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth to the child's mouth, his eyes to the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. As he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. As the presence of God touched that which is dead, it began to have life. And Elisha got up walked back and forth across the room once and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother. He said, and when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about persistence in the trenches. God, we thank you so much. God, for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, your word is wonderful. And I pray that today that, God, you would take this very real story that happened thousands of years ago to this woman in Shunem, and God, you would teach us some principles. God, you would teach us the principle of persistence. That, God, in those moments when we feel like giving up and throwing in the towel, we would not. Lord, I pray that, God, you would help me now in this moment we have together to create an environment for people to discover your son, Jesus. Know your incredible love and realize the awesome plan that you have for them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Persistence. Persistence. It's, 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 a, great, it's a great biblical principle. And it's, it's a principle that I've learned over and over again, not just in ministry, but, but in my life as a believer and, and had to apply many times in my life. And I, I'll never forget my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's now 21, who helped run that youth night last night and is just crushing it in ministry. And I was reminded of when she was little. She was about 18 months old. And in the house we lived in, we had a pool. And she was at that age where she's getting very busy and she can kind of open a door by herself. And so we needed to think, man, what are we going to do? We got to make sure she doesn't, you know, get in the pool and, and bad things happen. And so, and so I began to research. I began to research locks and alarm systems. And I researched fences around the pool. And I realized those are really expensive. And so all of a sudden I came across swimming lessons. Come on, somebody. And I thought, I can afford that. I mean, she needs to learn how to swim at some point anyway. 
And so we found like, like swimming lessons for like 18 months old, and so we signed her up. And I'll never forget, man, we took her there, and it was like this indoor swimming pool with this little stadium seating, and parents would sit in the stadium seating as the kids were in the pool, one-on-one instructor. And in that very first day, as the instructor began to teach her how to swim, he would line her up on the little buoys that separated where they create swim lines. And he lined her up there so that she could reach for the buoys. And there was a blue one and a white one, and so the right hand would go, and then the left hand would go, and... And, and so he had her there by the waist and was holding her, telling her, hey, now just reach and then pull and reach and then pull. And I got to tell you something. I have two daughters, and they're both drama queens like their mom. She's like, you're the drama queen. I know I am, all right, if I'm honest. Like. Um, and so, like, nothing just is like, like just, and it's just, like, there's just life to it. And so she's there, and, and the instructor's like, hey, now reach. Okay, now pull, now reach and pull. And within minutes... My daughter, this is what you heard throughout the whole entire pool area. Reach and pull, reach and pull, reach and pull, like nonstop. And everyone's looking around like, whose kid is that? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's this woman's. I don't know who she is, you know, like. And I, like literally, like at the top of her lungs. Instructors laughing, and I'm just kind of like, what are you doing, child? Next day was, now we're going to incorporate the legs. And so they gave her a little paddle board, and he held onto her waist, and she held onto that paddle board. And, and, and he was like, okay, now kick, 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 good, kick, kick. And within minutes, this is what you heard, kicking, 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 kicking. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Next day, we're going to put it all together. And so here's the instructor holding her by the waist and, and bringing her around the pool. And all you heard was this. Reach and pull, reach and pull, I'm kicking, I'm kicking, I'm kicking. And then it would start all over again, <laughs> nonstop. Maybe a week or two after the swim lessons had ended, uh, I went out to a hot tub, and I was sitting in the hot tub, and, and uh, my wife was getting our daughter ready, and she came out in her swimsuit. And one of the things we would do um, is I would stand at the edge of the pool, and, and she would count down, three, two, one, jump, and I would jump, and she would laugh, and she would think it's the coolest thing ever. Well, I'm sitting in the hot tub. And she comes to the edge, and all of a sudden she starts to go, three, two, and I'm like, wait, no, baby, I'm in the pool, I can't jump. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, she's going to jump. And she hits one, and she leaps right into the hot tub, and she starts sinking to the bottom. And I'm telling you right now, I would do what every dad in this place would do. I sat back and said, let's see if these swim lessons pay off. (laughs) Right? We want to know that our money went towards something, right? Right? Now moms would be like, oh, baby, baby, I got you, I got you. Dads were like, let's, I mean, she's got a few seconds at least, you know, like, <laughs> let's see what happens here. You know, like, I want to know, I get a return on my investment. So I was watching. Now, yes, I did the head check to make sure my wife was nowhere around real quick, you know, like, yep, she's nowhere. Okay, let's see what you got, girl, you know. And, and I look down and I just see her little face and her eyes bugging out of her head and she's looking up like, daddy, you're going to do something. I'm like, No. And all of a sudden, she starts to rise, and she starts to come up, and I see her little eyes, and all of a sudden, she crests through the water, and all of a sudden, I go, re-temple, re-temple, I'm kicking, I'm kicking, I'm kicking, and I grabbed her, and I'm like, yes, and I learned something at that moment, that it does not matter what you are going through in life. It might feel like you are at the bottom of the pool. It might feel like you are buried under your circumstances. It might feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But if you continue to grab that which is in front of you and push it behind you, by the grace of God, you will get to wherever you need to go. 
if you just show some persistence, if you don't give up, if you push through, if you kick through, by the grace of God, you're going to make it through it. You are going to make it through it. Some of us are drowning in something. Some of us are drowning in debt. Some of us are drowning in destruction. Some of us are drowning in depression. Some of us are drowning in, in whatever it might be, addiction. Some of us are drowning as we look at our marriage and we think to ourselves, like, it's over. It ain't over if you just put some fight into it. It ain't over. God put a principle inside of us, and it's called persistence. And if we just dig in, and by his grace, if we just continue to push through, you're going to get there. What does the Bible say? Don't grow weary in doing well. Don't grow weary in doing what is right, what is good, what is godly, what is above reproach. Just keep doing that, and you will reap in due season if you don't give up. That's a promise of the word. He promises us that. But I'm here to tell you there's some of us that are just throwing in the towel, calling it quits way too early. Throwing in the towel. And this woman, 2 Kings chapter 4, teaches us so much. Right off the bat, she teaches us where most of us fell. Most of us fell before it even gets started. Most of us fail because we're not willing to recognize what we have and take it and build a place for God's presence. Now, now don't, 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 I know we read it. I know we read it and it says, well, she was a wealthy woman. She had a lot. Yes, she was a wealthy woman. But read the seven verses before it because there's a story about a poor woman who had nothing her and her family about to die. And the man of God shows up, says, hey, how many vessels do you have? I, I, I got, go, go gather as many vessels as you can. She gathers the vessels and, and the oil just keeps filling up these vessels. This, this isn't a story about, well, I have some wealth so I can do something. This is a story about, listen, what do you have? Take it and build something for his presence. Build something for his presence. Build something for his presence. And so she does. She, 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 she goes, well, here's what we have. I want to build this upper room. I want to build this thing so that the presence of God doesn't just pass by me. The presence of God comes and stays with me. I want the presence of God with me. I want the presence of God with me all the time. And so she builds this, and, and, and the man of God comes, and he remains there. He dwells there. And because she took what she had, and she built this place for the presence of God to come. All of a sudden now, the presence of God turns and says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Now, I need you to understand something. We can never, listen, too many of us are coming to God and coming to church. Wanting God to do something for us. And so we think if I come to church enough, if I pray enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I serve enough, if I get involved in a group, if I do this, if I do that, then maybe God will do something for me. Listen to me. You can never make God move in your life, but you can always make room for God to move in your life. And this woman wasn't looking to make the, the man of God move in her life. He was looking to make room for the man of God. And because she made room, for the presence of God. The presence of God moved in her life. 
and says, I got, I got, I got a promise for you. Calls her. Hey, what can be done? Want me to talk to the king? No, don't worry about it. I'm good. Was she good? She had learned to be content, but she forgot to continue to contend. presence of God. He's like, no, no, I want to do something for her. Call her back. Gehazi okay, happens to know that she's never had a son and it's something she deeply wanted. Comes and here's the promise. This time next year. Yeah, you're going to be holding the son. But I, I don't know what's worse. I, I don't know if it's worse to never have obtained the promise and just wondered what it would be like to have it. Or, or to get the promise and then to lose the promise. And I'm telling you this morning, I believe there's two types of people sitting here. There are those of you sitting in this room right now or tuning in online and, and you're the one that you've never obtained the promise. And, and maybe so much so that you've just kind of pushed it aside and said, nah, I'm good. But I feel like the Holy Spirit would say to you today, it's time to build a place for his presence in your life, in you, and as you do that, watch and see what God does. Watch and see what God does. There's the other person in here today that you've obtained the promise and now it feels like it's dead. It's over, it's gone. But I want you to know something, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. This woman teaches us how to persist in the trenches. The moments that don't make sense, the moments that seem difficult, the, the, the moments where it feels like, man, I'm, I'm in over my head. And I want to look at it real quick with you and show it to you today. The first thing I see in this woman is this. First obstacle she has to overcome is the one of deception. The one of deception. Now, here's the deal. I know that you might be sitting there and thinking, okay, Pastor, like, like you, you're talking to us about persistence and, and, and you're, you're going after it, but, but is this really a biblical principle? I mean, is this really something? I mean, I thought if I just serve Jesus and just kind of chill, like God's just going to do whatever. No, no, you need to understand something. Persistence isn't just something that we see in this woman. Persistence is something that Jesus taught his disciples, a matter of fact, I, I need to share this with you, that, that, that Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, listen to what he says. This is Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you want a friend's house, went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Because of your shameless persistence. This woman persisted in the trenches, and the first thing I see is she overcame deception. 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 And let me just tell you, the greatest way, I know that there's a lot of ways the enemy can deceive you. He's known as the great deceiver. 
But as a Christian and a Christ follower, one of the greatest ways he will deceive you is by getting you to believe that your personal best is all. That what you can do is all you need. Listen to what happens. The Bible says, hey, take the child back to the woman. What does the woman do? The woman carries the child, places the child on her lap, holds the child until the child dies. Holds the dream in her own arms until the dream is dead. Believing that if I coddle him, if I hold him, if I nurture him, if I speak in, the problem is this, is that she wasn't the one that birthed the dream, he was. And too many of us start off in that reality. We start off with the reality of, man, God saved me. God did this in my life. God gave me a promise. But somewhere in the journey, we think that we got it. Somewhere in the journey, we think that, man, I, I can carry this thing. I can do this thing. I can, I can, I can handle this. And the enemy will come in and deceive you to think that that's all that you need to do, but then all of a sudden reality sets in and she's like, it's dead. And then she remembers, listen to this, she remembers where the promise started. And the Bible says that she carries the boy back up to the man of God's room and places the child on the bed where the promise started. She remembered that day when she was called and she was standing in the doorway and the man of God spoke from his bed, said, hey, this year, next, next time this year, you're going to be holding a child. Some of you are standing in the doorway of your miracle. Some of you are standing in the doorway of your breakthrough. Some of you are standing in the doorway of the promise of the dream being realized. But when it gets to that place where you think you got it, you better go back to the one that gave it. Go back to the one that gave it. Go back to the one that gave it. And listen to me, this is not just something I'm preaching to you, this is something I'm living out. This is something that I didn't live out months ago, years ago, this is something I lived out, I'm living out right now. That place, I'm telling you right now, that place of getting to the, man, I, I, think, I think we need to, I, I can do this. We just recently hired a new staff member because, man, all that you see that's happening here in Oasis is happening at Canvas Church. Man, growth is taking place. People are coming. They're streaming in. And we're like, we need, we need to get some more help. So we hired a new staff member. And, and I'm looking at the budget from last year, looking at 2024. And I'm like, man, how can we buffer that? And so I look at how much we're going to be paying her. And I'm like, well, maybe I can approach the top givers in the church and just say, hey, can you guys help give this amount? It'll help buffer that cost. And, and so I sent out an email. And like nine people responded. And I was, I was needing like 20 to, to cover it. And I'm like, okay. And, and there I was the next Sunday, Sunday morning. And I'll just be honest with you, man, the things that go through a pastor's mind in worship service I wish I could tell you that every time I'm in worship, I'm just like lost in the presence of God, which is what we want you to do, and you should do. Why are you thinking about your problems? Worship Jesus. And here I am thinking about our problems. The things that go through a pastor's head during worship, why is that light out? Why is she 
off key right now. Who put that person on the choir? They can't even dance. Not talking about anyone in particular. Right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, as I'm worshiping God, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, like this much came in. Praise you, Jesus. Um, I love you, Lord. You're awesome and omniscient and omnipotent. You can do anything. You're all powerful. I love you. And I'm like, but we need this much. So here's what I'm going to do. After this worship, when I get up to preach, I'm just going to take a few moments and share about, you know, the new hire and what we need. And also the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, what are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm, I'm holding this thing in my own arms. He said, Ben, you've never been able to hold this thing together. For the 20 plus years of ministry you've been in, it ain't been you, it's always been me. So why don't you stop trying to do this on your own and go back to where the promise was birthed and the promise was given and continue to rely on me? Because I get deceived too. Thinking that, man, I got this and my, my personal best is, is, is good enough. The second thing I see, though, isn't just that. It's not the deception in the trenches that the enemy wants to try to throw at you, thinking you can climb your way out of this thing. You can't climb your way out of this thing. The next one I see is this idea of we got to overcome, we got to persist through detours. Detours. Detours are going to come. They're going to come your way. And, and, and they come at her, and I want to give you just, I want to just narrow this down because there, there could be so many detours, but let me just tell you this, when you are in the trenches and you are trying to pursue what God has for you and growth is taking place and life transformation and, and you're, you're building this relationship, two of the greatest detours that will come is negativity and dissenters, people that will keep you from walking into the promise of God. Look, 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 look what happens. She's like, hey, I need to go to the man of God. And here's the thing. The very first detour is the person that's closest to her. It's her husband. And sometimes those that are close to you, well-meaning, well-meaning well people that are close to you will sometimes be your greatest detour. Maybe not intentionally. But he's like, where are you going? You, shouldn't you be planning a funeral? Shouldn't you be burying our son? Where are you going? But here's the thing. He wasn't the one that carried the child for 10 months in the womb. He wasn't the one that carried and birthed this thing. She was. And listen to what she does. She overcomes. She says, hey, it's all right. It's all right. And then the next one comes, and it's, it's Gehazi. And Gehazi is like, hey, is everything okay? What does she reply? It's all right. Everything is, is good. It's all right. And I'm telling you right now, there, there are some people that you just got to cut off from your life. Just got to cut them off. And I want you to know this. The momentary pain is worth the long-term gain. What God is doing and wants to do in you and through you, man, that momentary pain of losing that friendship, that relationship that's holding you back, that's detouring you. But it's not just the pain, it's the negativity. Gehazi comes and says, hey, is everything okay? And she's like, I'm good. 
Here's the thing. Stop having conversations with people that can't help you. Stop having conversations with people that cannot help you. Because if they can't help you, it's either gossip or it's negativity. And you don't need the gossip and you don't need the negativity. Man, we are so prone that way. I mean, was it all good? No, the promise is dead. But she realized something. Me having a conversation, listen, Gehazi, get out of my way. I'm going to the one that can help me. I'm going to the one that has the answer. I'm going to the one that promised this thing to me. It ain't you. You can't help me. The conversation about how bad my day is going ain't going to help me. Stop talking about your situation and start using the word of God to talk to your situation. I'm going someplace. I'm getting out of the trenches. I'm going to the promise that God has for me. But it's not going to happen when I have conversations with people that cannot help me. But it's not just the... It's not just the detours, it's the delays that happen. And the delays that happen in our life, listen to this. Listen to what happens. She gets to the man of God. Gehazi comes to shove away. The man of God, the one that can help her, says, hold on a second. Don't shove her away. Something's going on, and the Lord's hidden it from me. Sometimes the Lord will hide things from people who can help you so that you never be dependent on a man, but you become dependent on him. Listen, it's about a relationship with Christ. It's about a relationship with him. And it's in those moments, listen to me, delay is not denial. The delay in you getting to where God wants you, the delay in you getting to the promise is not denial. It's just a momentary setback because God wants to know, are you looking to him or are you just trying to get a dream back? Are you, are you building relationship with him or are you just trying to get something back? And the delay was there. I said, man, uh, listen to what she says. You can send the stick all you want, but I ain't looking for a handout. I want your presence to come back with me because it's your presence that birthed it. It's your presence that gave it. And it's your presence that will resurrect it. Your presence your presence and they get there and the last obstacle is discouragement you gotta gotta learn to persist through discouragement the presence of God lays over the dream and as the presence of God someone's got to hear this because see some of you just need to get back into the presence of God you just need to get back into the presence of God and I, I don't mean I don't mean a church service I mean, you, you need to get back into the presence of God. The presence of God lays on top of the dream. And as the presence of God overshadows the dream, the dream begins to come back to life. And then the presence of God comes again, saturates the dream, and the dream is resurrected. Don't grow weary. In doing well. If you just continue to reach, if you just continue to pull, if you just continue to press through whatever seems to have you down, you are going to get to where God wants you. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Go back to the presence of God. Go back to where it was birthed. Go back to where it was given. 
and watch and see God move in your life. Could you stand to your feet this morning with me? Because I feel, I feel and I felt in the first service, there are some of you here, you, 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 feel, you feel like you've, you, you want to give up, you want to you throw in the towel. But I'm here to tell you, if you just press in and you just persist, if you just keep reaching, if you just keep pulling, if you just keep kicking, you're going to get there. You're, with every eye closed in this place. I feel this one, and I didn't feel this in the first service. I'll share it here. Be sense of the Holy Spirit. There's someone in here you actually feel like just throwing in the towel and calling it quits altogether. Like just like I'm done. I'm done with life. I'm done. You walked in here as a last ditch effort. Saying, God, if you don't show up, I feel like might as well just end it. Just close your eyes for a moment. you would be honest enough and you'd be sensitive enough to what God is speaking to you right now to say, Pastor, that's me. I feel like calling it quits. I'm listening to the negativity. I'm listening to the voices. I'm listening to it. And I'm drowning in it. With every eye closed and every head bowed, that's you. Can you just shoot your hand in the air right now? That's you. Anybody in this place right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your life is worth living. 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 God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. Don't throw in the towel. This is what I want you to do. If you'd be, if you'd be so, so sensitive enough and honest enough and real enough. And there were so many. And I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, nah, we're going to break that today. Um, because, because some of it's not just circumstance. Some of it's a spirit. And that was you, and you raised your hand. Would you meet me at this altar right now? I want to pray for you. Don't, don't, don't hold back. That was you. There were, like, there were quite a few of you. Come on, just get out of your seat. Make your way up here. This is, this is hope, hope right here. I'm old-fashioned. I believe in altar calls. There, thank you so much for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Come on, somebody else. Come on, come on, come on. Where are you at? There's so many of you. Your life is worth living. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a hope. He's got a dream. You just got to get back into the presence. The presence of God is just going to come and surround you right now. Hear me. The presence of God is breathing life back into you. The presence of God is bringing life back into you. The presence of God is bringing life back. The presence of God is bringing life. You're, oh, my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on. This is a real moment. This is a breakthrough moment. This is a life or death moment. This is a life or death. Lord, right now, come on, you respond to just close your eyes and open up your hands like you're about ready to receive a gift. I don't know if we have some more pastors. Katie, come. Let's just pray right now. Come on. The presence of God is moving right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. Lord God, that you're good. And God, we thank you that you're able right now. And Lord, right now, we take authority in this place. God, we take authority in this place right now. And we break the lie of the enemy. We break the lie and the curse of the enemy. We say you are a princess. You are a prince. Your life is valuable. Right now, addiction strongholds are being broken. Right now, the nightmares at night that abound you are being broken. Hallelujah. Right now, freedom is coming in Jesus' mighty name. Some of you have been listening to the lie of the enemy that has been coming from a natural source. You've been listening to the lie of the enemy from a natural source, but today it is broken in Jesus' mighty name. 
name. Oh, the words of death. The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. Oh, life and death. And you've been listening to the voice of death. But today life comes. Life comes. There is a dream. There is a purpose. Ah, the presence of God is coming to lay over your life right now. Can somebody give him some praise this morning? Can someone rally with them right now? Come on, can someone give God some glory in this place? Come on, people are being raised to life. Come on, people are being raised. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share with a friend. To join us on the journey of being present, connected, and generous, visit oasisla.org connect. We love you so much, and we'll see you soon.